go back into South Bend's history. 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, and what do you see? You see groups of people working to bring change to this city. They had different ideas of what that change should be. They didn't always agree. Yet, in every decade, there were groups of people for whom positive change was their life's work. This podcast, South Bend's Own Words, features the voices of people who helped make this city change. We'll share clips from the oral histories done by the Indiana University South Bend Civil Rights Heritage Center that tell a more complete history of the city. It's the story of many cultures, not just one. It's the story of South Bend. Dale Gibson was a longtime resident of South Bend and a teacher at Adams and the former LaSalle High School. As a white man, when he was growing up, he neither experienced nor recognized the segregation happening in South Bend. In college, he attempted to bring a black friend to a local swimming pool. His friend was not allowed in. That was Dale's first experience with direct racial segregation. It sparked a lifelong interest in the anti-war and racial justice movements. He was also actively involved with South Bend's first Unitarian Church. In the 1960s, they were vocal against the war in Vietnam and in favor of African-American equality. It's likely that outspokenness provoked someone to bomb the church in 1968. Dale wrote an in-depth history of that tragic event, and we'll link to it in the show notes. In 2003, David Healy from the Civil Rights Heritage Center sat down with Dale Gibson. They talked about Dale's early remembrance of South Bend, how that incident in college affected him, and how that led to a life devoted to the First Unitarian Church, childhood education, and the fight for justice. Mr. Gibson, you were, uh, you were born here in South Bend? Yes, I was. Uh, where did your father work at? He worked at the South Bend Bay Company. And your mother, did she work outside she, home? She did not work, no. She stayed at home? Yes, she did. What uh, schooling did you receive here in South Bend? I went to... Uh, Jefferson School for elementary and junior high, and Adams High School. Did uh, you have any um, minority students at either school? Yes, there were minority students at both schools. As I recall, at Jefferson, they may not have come until seventh grade, and then there were some also at Adams. Did you ever see any uh, African-American teachers at either school? No. Were you aware of any uh, discrimination in South Bend's restaurants or recreational facilities when you were growing up? At the time that I was growing up, I probably wasn't aware of it. When did you become aware of racial discrimination? Well, firsthand, uh, we had an exchange student staying with us in our fraternity house from Howard University. And uh, I took him one day, and we were going to go out to a local swimming hole around the school there. And when we got there, the owner said that he wouldn't be allowed to swim there. I, of course, was embarrassed and angry and everything else, and uh, I became, I sort of, that experience sort of changed my life, really, in, in regard to civil rights. So you became a real activist then? After that, I began to become much more interested in it, yes. You mentioned that you returned to South Bend in the 60s? I did. I came back here in 1960. Mm -hmm. What was South Bend like in 1960? 
Do you have any numbers? Well, racially, it's still pretty segregated, and things were just beginning to happen. And I came back as a teacher, and uh, I remember that the sit-ins were just beginning down Nashville, some of the other parts to the south. And uh, this was one of the things that I was trying to teach my students about at the time. It was the very beginnings. Of course, the uh, Montgomery bus boycott had already taken place, but it was sort of the beginnings of the civil rights movement. Where did you teach at? I went back and taught at Adams High School. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned that you belonged to a Unitarian Church during the 60s. Yes. You're still a member, correct? That's correct. And the, this church was very active in both anti-war and civil rights movement here in South Bend. That's correct. The minister that came to serve us in uh, 1965 was very concerned about racial discrimination and poverty, as well as the war in Vietnam. And so he took an active role in the community on all of these areas. Can you give some specific instances where he... Uh... I remember when a Ku Klux Klan caravan went through South Bend, he was standing out with his signs opposing uh, what they stood for. Here he has a sign, We Mourn Shorner, Cheney, and Goodman, in reference to the three uh, civil rights workers who were murdered in Mississippi. And he's yeah. standing on a bridge. Do you remember what bridge that is? That's right there on, over on Michigan Street, over the river. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what was his name? His name was uh, Reverend Joe Snyders. And uh, he became very active in many of the local organizations. I know uh, he, he was arrested in a sit-in at the school administration building in April of 1968. He, along with many other people, other ministers. Do you recall what that sit-in was, uh, what prompted that sit-in at the... Uh... That sit-in was prompted by uh, uh, the action of a off-duty police officer slash security guard at Washington High School, who, as we understood it, roughed up a student who didn't have his shirt tail tucked in. And, uh, yeah, he roughed up a black student. It was a black student, yes. So you had a sit-in at the uh, administration building. Do you remember the outcome of that? Was Well, the, uh, eventually the police came and told everybody to leave. And uh, when everybody didn't leave, they started arresting. There were a lot of people arrested that night. I can't say exactly how many, but I think it would be between 50 and 100. So you had a very large turnout at this. There was a, quite a few people there, yes. Your pastor was instrumental in, in starting this? Uh... Well, I don't know that he started it, but he, he took part in that sitting, and he was arrested, yes. Now, the church itself was, was bombed in, in August of 68, and uh, I had been told that it was basically in response to the anti-war movement, but you told me that that may not be the case. Can you uh, explain that a little bit more? Well, the church is active in both areas, in civil rights and in the anti-war movement, and since the person who did it was never caught, I don't think we can say definitively which one of those they were protesting about, but uh, that beautiful building was burned beyond repair. Well, that is probably more than just a coincidence. Mm. However, um, as you said, the arsonist was never, never caught. 
What what do you think? I mean, what do the people think at the church? Do they have an idea who this is? We have no idea at all who who might have done it. I will say though that the church received a great deal of support following this incident, not only from other churches in the area, but from many individuals, many churches, including uh, St. Joe Catholic Church and many others. Uh, the uh, temple offered to let us hold our services at their churches, and so we did receive a great deal of support once our building had been destroyed. So you were teaching at Adams during at the height of the civil rights movement? Yes, I was. Do you remember how many minority students were there? There, there were quite a few. So there had been a significant increase in, in enrollment of minority students from when you went there as a student and you came back as there, a teacher? There had been, yes, there had been. A few years later, I was transferred out to LaSalle High School. This would have been during the 68-69 school year. And at that time, there was a lot more friction. The black power movement, you might say, had become stronger. The civil rights movement had become a little more militant. And there were several near riots that I remember that year at LaSalle High School many times. Uh, you'd come out of school and there'd be a dozen police cars around. Really? That was out. That was out. So this was, see, this would be after Martin Luther King's assassination. That was, he was 68, it was after his assassination, yes. I remember it was a very trying time for all of us. Of course, there were many uh, riots that broke out around the country after that happened. I also recall that in our church, the minister, Reverend Schneider's, just ask people to come up and express how this had made them feel. And there's some very beautiful things said at that service. So w was your church uh, white and black? Or we, was it was predominantly white. We did have black members. Have you noticed uh, opportunities, access to opportunities have increased for uh, African Americans here in South Bend compared well, to when you were growing up? I do think that if you're in teaching, since that's what I was in, and you're African-American, that you know, you've had good training and good preparation and everything, your chances are fairly good at getting a job. However, we know there are still many well-educated black people who are having a hard time finding work. It's not that it, the, the whole thing is solved. So we still have a lot of work to do. There's still a lot more to be done, in my opinion, yes. What would you, what do you think we should do? Well, you know, having been in education, I've always been an advocate of starting it early and getting kids ready to go to kindergarten. When they get there, you know, making sure they have a lot of support systems. So in those lines, I think a lot more could probably be done. And I'm looking at more than just testing kids like is being done under the present administration and saying if you don't test up to par your school fails and you know I think a lot more is going to have to be done in preschool and early education. I feel that there's been backsliding. I, I really do. There's still an awful lot of black unemployment. There's an awful lot of black people who populate our prisons and I think there's a lot, still a lot of need that's for uh, I don't know how to put it, except for uh, encouragement and support in the educational process. Well, again, I thank you very much, and uh, 
that will conclude our interview for today. Thank you. South Bend's Own Words was created by Kevin Tidmarsh and me, George Garner. This episode was produced by Donald Britton from the Ernestine M. Racklin School of the Arts at IU South Bend and by me through the Civil Rights Heritage Center. Visit us and learn how IU South Bend students inspired the transformation of a once segregated South Bend swimming pool. We give guided tours and offer public events that show how the history of oppression echoes through the city today. See and hear more history, plan your visit, or share your thoughts about this episode, all at crhc.iusb.edu.